0: Welcome to What the Duck, a podcast with real experts talking about direct spin challenges and experiences. And now here's your host, SourceDay's very own manufacturing maven, Sarah Scudder.
1: Thank you for joining me for What the Duck, another supply chain podcast brought to you by Source Day. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and this is the podcast for people working in the direct materials part of supply chain. I'm at Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn and at S Scudder on Twitter. Today, I'm going to be joined by Chris Licati, and we're going to discuss his continuous struggle to get his parts and materials on time working in aerospace. If you work for a manufacturer and are struggling to deal with late deliveries because your suppliers are understaffed, then this episode is for you. Chris lives in Oregon with his wife and two kids and has 13 years experience in supply chain. He began his career with a stainless steel fabrication shop supporting industrial kitchens, construction, and semiconductor processing. That was a mouthful. Welcome to the show, Chris.
0: Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to be here and appreciate you having me on the show.
1: I am very jealous of your weather right now. So I was born and raised in the Bay Area and lived in California for most of my life. I moved to Austin to join the Source Day team. And we have been in a heat warning, heat wave for the last two or three months. And I don't think it's been below 100 degrees here for the last 60-ish days. So enjoy your ability to be able to walk outside and exercise and get some sunshine whenever you want.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty hot.
1: So I'd like to start off all of our interviews with your personal story, telling about how you got your start in supply chain.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I started, I kind of snuck my way into supply chain. Um, <laughs> I was working construction uh, in Walla Walla, Washington, and um, I had, I was currently working like a temporary job, but we wanted to move to the Portland area, Um uh, and my wife was working at a bank and she got an opportunity to transfer. So I took that opportunity to uh, look for jobs over here. And my uncle, uh, who, was, who became my boss, he actually, they actually own and run Pacific Stainless. Um, and so I just called him up and said, hey, are there any jobs, jobs I can apply for? We're looking to move in the area. And he said, I got the perfect one for you. Um, and he brought me in as an expediter to uh, you know, move the parts for the shop um, but with that came some inventory management and kidding. Um, I currently had a a buyer that was buying the you know raw materials and all the components and everything. But uh that buyer left and as he was doing that, he said, Hey, why don't you take on some of the purchasing for for like the screws and hardware for the smaller things like that? Um, and so I started doing that and then eventually just kind of grew into buying all of the components. Um uh, all of the shop supplies, running the maintenance, things like that. So um, that's how, kind of how I got, got into it. And then the more I learned about it, the more I realized I liked it. I enjoyed uh, supply and uh, asked, how can I learn more? And that's when my uh, uncle, my boss turned, on me, turned me on to uh, Apex and uh, certifications <laughs> so I could start learning more about supply chain and, and, uh, and business processes.
1: So when you were at Pacific Stainless Steel Products, you were what's called an MRO buyer. Yes. What were you responsible for in this role? And I'd like to have you touch on what you thought was some of the most difficult parts of the job, because coming in and working in direct materials is not easy and there's a a lot of things that we need to learn.
0: Yeah, and it, it was certainly a unique situation at Pacific uh, because they are a job shop, and so you didn't have a real steady stream of the same thing over and over again. Um, so the predictability was definitely the hardest part of that.
1: So for those who aren't aware, Chris, what is a job shop?
0: So a job shop uh, is basically you kind of custom, um, kind of it's not it's not going to be a repetitive um, line style. Or uh, you know, making the same thing over and over again. It might be similar products, or you know, a similar uh, thing with different configurations. Um, but unique stuff comes up all the time because it's just basically, hey, you know, a lot of things they did were like restaurants. So you had a restaurant, and they needed tables, but they needed this length table and this, you know, this cabinet with this many um, doors, and or you know, maybe casters or maybe legs or whatever. So it was always different product going through the shop so it's based on a job rather than on um which
1: makes managing supply and inventory that much more challenging
0: correct yeah yeah so we would come i mean there would be kind of the repetitive things that we did buy and keep in stock and and the only thing you had to do with that was manage the quantity or the amount you kept on Mm -hmm. on hand but then there were occasional times when something completely unique comes up that you've never purchased before Sometimes you have to deal with, uh, you know, minimum buys or, um, you know, just even just sourcing, trying to find somebody who actually provides that product. Um, so that that was always a challenge. If something completely unique came up that we never purchased.
1: So what was the strategy then? I mean, some things were a little predictable, and you were able to have suppliers secured or things set up, but you can get orders for for you know, a design or creating something that you don't necessarily have product in stock for and, or you need to source new things. So what was your strategy for managing the supply for this unique business model?
0: Uh, I think it's control what you can. Um, you, you can look on, on history and kind of uh, get an average, get a, you know, a, a something that looks, like hey this is what we've been doing these are the volumes we're doing we can also you can also get with the sales team and say hey what are you seeing coming down the line um and kind of look ahead so the things that you can predict a little bit more you can you just need to kind of fluctuate the inventory so looking at hey how many jobs you got on the books next month um we can start you know beefing up the orders or backing them down or um but then it's, it's, so what you do is you control those, the things that you can. So when the things that come up that are out of the norm, you have the capacity, you have the room to, to put in the uh, extra work to, to, to source those and supply them.
1: Mm-hmm. So for the last six years, you've worked for Precision Aircraft Solutions. Yes. Which is in the aerospace industry, which is <clears throat> a very unique industry, our right. company um, does some work in the aerospace and i I have friends who work in aerospace as well so kind of a, a different animal in some cases so l- let's talk through first what does your company do let, let, let's maybe explain that for the audience
0: yeah um it's it's very unique when I got hired on here I was I was excited about it because um, at, at first just being in aerospace I, I love planes I love flight I love It works, but uh, Precision converts passenger aircraft, uh, like airline aircraft. Mm -hmm. 757s has been um, the main aircraft that we've done. We've done, we're doing up to 170 planes um, on the book, or that's how many we've done in the past, I should say. Um, And then now we're starting the Airbus A321. So we convert those from passenger to freighter. Um, The freight world is going strong high, high need. So, uh, so it's an industry that's very good to be in right now as far as aerospace goes. Hmm.
1: And then why the transition? Why did you decide to pivot from Pacific stainless steel into precision aircraft?
0: Uh, I would say there's a few reasons. One of the main reasons was, was strictly, um, family, personal related. Um, (laughs) I, I was, I was. Commuting 45 minutes each way to work uh, at Pacific, and so I loved it there. I love working with my my family; it's family owned company. Um, you know, I love the people there. Really enjoy the job. Uh, so that was a big a big thing, though, was just the proximity because it was going from a 45 minute commute to a 10 minute commute. Um, apart from that, also career wise, it it was more stepping into the a little bit more of the larger supply chain. Work that I had learned how to do, but wasn't really utilizing that as much in the in the job shop environment. Mm
1: -hmm. So, in your role at Precision, what are specifically are you responsible for?
0: Uh, So, I'm I'm personally responsible for uh, managing basically 2,500 or more parts, uh, uh, direct parts that go into. The aircraft conversion. Um, we we also do assemblies here. We assemble the cargo door and the fuselage um, reinforcements, which we call sills. Um, those are those are actually made here in Beaverton, um, and then they're shipped with the kit to the they're called MROs, maintenance, repair, and overhaul facilities that actually do the conversion of the aircraft. Um, and so I'm I'm responsible for buying those 2,500 kit parts that go with the cargo door and the the sills. Um,
1: Of those 2,500 parts that you're responsible for, what has been the most difficult to procure this year?
0: This year, uh, I mean, everything's gotten a little bit more difficult just with the materials, raw materials, especially metal, um, has gone up in lead time, up in price. and everything, even with, you know, the labor force and everything's just gotten a lot more uh, challenging. But I would say that in aerospace, the things that are probably the most challenging right now are um, electronic parts, anything that has a relay or a PCB board, for whatever reason, those have been hard, the harder uh, items to procure, um, getting either longer lead times or things that we've had on order have had major delays because of, PCB board shortages and, um, and electronic component just delays. And I, I think that is a lot due to labor, um, the labor shortages that we've been seeing.
1: So what are you doing to overcome that? Given you've had such a challenge sourcing some of these things?
0: Yeah. One thing that we, we do a lot, uh, and I I would say it's probably not typical is, is to actually manage shortages, um. I mean, managing shortages obviously is, is common, but we, we do a lot of that ahead of time. Um, so we actually, we, we do manage the shortages that are late now and that we're needing now or in the past, um, and we're trying to get those to recover and come back in. But we also do look ahead and we we have a pretty steady schedule. Uh, we call it a slot schedule of aircraft builds when the kits are needed there um, up to about 18 months worth of, of demand shown. So with that, we're able to look ahead and go, okay, what parts are needed for those aircraft? And then we can get with the suppliers and, and we constantly are, are saying, hey, is this on track? Is this on track? Um, we send out weekly open order reports so that we can look ahead and see you know, if there's any issues. The, the vendor can come back and give us notes and say, hey, we're seeing mm-hmm. issues with this. This might cause some delays. Um, and then we can begin to work on uh, providing solutions.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the th- when I think of aerospace, the first thing that comes to mind for me is super long lead times. Yeah, and then the second thing is high regulations, meaning yes. lots of government and third-party regulations and, and codes and things you have to follow. Mm-hmm. Why are there such long lead times in aerospace?
0: Yeah, the the long lead times. Have to do probably with the uh, the specific materials and and uh, and specifications that we have to follow. Um, you know, aer- aerospace and military grade um, items are are they're so highly watched and they have to be heavily certified. And because of that, it's it's kind of a niche. And so there's not you know not any company can just go out and make that. They have to be certified to do that um, and approved by the FAA um so i think that has a lot to do with it I, I think also the the labor force uh you know it's a very specific industry and so just because you work in a machine shop or work in a um, forming shop or a, a harbor you know shop <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready for aerospace so it is kind of uh you know getting skilled labor that's able to Go into that workforce and and know those regulations and know um how those things work it it probably is just just a lot of that there's not as many companies that are are making those specific parts yeah so there's a lot of demand for it um especially with you got your oem airlines like boeing and airbus that you know are are constantly and, and we've actually just seen that they're increasing their production and so um that's taking up a lot of the uh you know the capacity and so if you're in a smaller aftermarket uh, style business, then then you don't get quite as much priority there. So it does take a lot longer to get um, to get parts.
1: So one of the things that you mentioned when we were prepping for the call is labor shortages with your suppliers, meaning they physically don't have enough people. So they're delayed okay. in getting their orders out to you. Yeah how are you problem solving this with your suppliers I mean I feel like this is a, a tough challenge when you know the thought of introducing robotics and AI into your suppliers business is not necessarily your decision
0: correct yeah um, I think for for our company to be able to mitigate that we do need to have you know a, a wider a wide supply base so um, we try to have multiple vendors that that are able to make most of our parts, um, there are obviously ones that are are single source or sole sourced uh, suppliers based on our our engineering and um, FAA approvals. But for the majority of our parts, we can go to you know multiple machine shops, multiple forming shops um, to be able to have either dual source or alternate source um, parts, and so that that helps mitigate it for us. Um, we i do discuss this with our with our vendors uh you know just like how is the labor shortage affecting them i I went over to a local vendor uh, and they said that that's that's the main problem is that they they have the capabilities they have the machines to do it they're just trying to keep skilled labor in there to be able to run them and run up at the full capacity they want to be able to uh has been a really big challenge for them and so I think it's just encouraging them. I think that, um, you know, what we do here to kind of keep our labor force up is we actually do contracts. Uh, we hire contract mechanics, contract engineers to, uh, to join our team and, and work with us. And we try to keep them fairly long term so they get a good understanding of how our process works. But, um, but it definitely helps to keep keep our labor going.
1: So you you shared a story with me that I I think is useful for our audience. You mentioned that at one point you had a part that was over seven months late when you had asked it to be delivered. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: why was the part so late? And then what happened with the distributor that made it even more late past the challenge that you were already dealing with?
0: yeah uh, this is actually very recent uh, I should say recent but it's been an ongoing uh, situation uh, it's a simple it seems simple to us an oxygen mass box um, that just holds the oxygen mass in for the crew in the aircraft um, and it's it's one of those things where I I, I do believe it's a capacity issue uh, it's a priority issue um, but materials labor we never really did find the exact story of why these were so late um, and we're going through a distributor who's going to a manufacturer overseas to actually um, mm-hmm. acquire this this item and so dealing with that we we knew that there was going to be shortages we knew, be, um, late... oh, you, <laughs> um, we knew that there was going to be late thanks we knew that there was going to be late late shortages on sorry, late on this, but um, it was, it was true, just very frustrating because they kept saying, you know, kept moving the date out, moving the data out, moving the data out. And then once they, they actually did get the parts in hand, then they finally, um, you know, Sarah, could we actually do this part again? Can I just start that over? Absolutely. I don't
1: know. So I'll ask the question again. Okay. So when, Chris, when when we were prepping for the call, you told me a story that I, I'd like to have you share in the interview. And it's about a time you had a part that was over seven months late. So you have phase one of the part being late, but then there was a, another issue with a distributor, which made it even later. So why was this part so late? And what did the distributor do to make this even a, a much bigger issue than it already was.
0: Yeah. Uh, we never actually did get the full story of why it was late, at least not the details. But we, uh, we we're going through a distributor here in the US that uh, is, is obtaining it from a manufacturer overseas. And so uh, there's kind of that disconnect there. But we did know it was going to be late. They kept pushing the date out and kept Kept saying we're contacting the manufacturer but we're not knowing you know we're not getting any responses um and it i'm guessing it probably has to do with material probably labor maybe capacity um those have just kind of been been the you know the constant excuses or reasons <laughs> and uh once they finally did get the parts we were we were like oh great you got the parts okay but then they said well we don't have the the paperwork that's required for it now <laughs> So we're reaching out to the to the manufacturer to try to get the paperwork. Um, we're not getting any responses. This went on for probably about two weeks, uh, and then I finally said, "Okay, I got to do something else about this." So, um, so yeah, I, I began to work on on trying to find my own way to get that paperwork.
1: Mm-hmm. So w- this to me goes back to a big piece of what I think is really important in a supply chain is supplier relationships and supplier management, which yeah. can be challenging when you're managing some some a portfolio like yours, which is over twenty five hundred parts. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to have you walk me through your supplier management strategy and process. Like what are you doing today? And maybe there's some things that aren't working so well and in, in, you know, that you're looking to improve in the future.
0: Yeah, uh we we keep in pretty good touch with most of our suppliers um, this this particular supplier in that case is a more online um, internet software based kind of company they 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 don't do as much face-to-face um, so there's a little harder to work with mm-hmm. I had to really push and reach out to try to get um, get contact with them but we do we we do maintain supplier relationships um, with with weekly calls with a lot of them um like i said those weekly open order reports we send those and then use that as kind of a a base to to communicate with them and make sure we're on the same page make sure they have all of the pos we've released um and make sure there's no issues along the way uh so we we do collaborate pretty well with our our suppliers um i think systems wise we we kind of have a a lack there because we don't have any system sharing um software or anything like that 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 we can do things in the system um collaborating with with vendors uh one thing we are starting to implement though is a is a supplier scorecard um our supply chain manager is is out kind of preparing for that right now and and trying to build that program so that we can we can give our suppliers a score and just say go over and say hey here's where your strengths are here's where your weaknesses are let's, yeah. let's work on these you know.
1: What about managing inventory levels? How are you handling that? Because you want to have enough so you can fulfill your orders, but you don't want to have too much where something becomes obsolete or becomes irrelevant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting that you bring that up because that is something that's that's a challenge. One thing, because we have parts that are over a year lead time in, in our kit. Um, it's not not a high percentage of them, but um, a short lead time is is probably about twelve to sixteen weeks right now. Um, so so we we do have the span of a, of long lead times that we're having to manage. Um, so we do have to keep a, a, a decent level of inventory uh, in order to make sure that we're we're able to supply our kits. Um, and we did during COVID when it was so much more versatile uh, or volatile. Be, of getting these of knowing whether we were going to get parts on time or not knowing whether we were going to actually be able to get them at all Mm -hmm. um then we we kind of had this we're going out we're buying out to this many number of kits um you can bring them in whenever you want to we can keep inventory on hand and we're just going to do that because we're going to make sure that we have the parts when we need them um and and that was a it was a strategy that, you know, normally you wouldn't do that because you wouldn't want to keep that much carrying cost on, on hand, but we did that in order to mitigate, we, we figured it was worth, worth it because the cost of not being able to supply those is way higher than the, than the inventory cost would be. Now that we're through that a little bit more, we're, we're backing that down to where we're, we're trying to get, we're working with our vendors to, uh, to supply smaller, smaller amounts in more frequent drops. To where we can get that inventory level just a little bit lower and more more aligned with our demand and with our um, actual issuance kits so that's something we're working on right now
1: what about what about demand planning in your industry is it relatively steady and consistent or how do you factor that in as you're doing your inventory planning
0: yeah we have we have kind of a unique uh system with that we we provide Slots uh, basically for our customers to say, hey, if you have an aircraft that that you want converted, we can do it on these. You know, here's here's our slots, and we can put it in the, into one of those slots. Um, we have to book MRO time, uh, you know, maintenance facility time, in order to do those conversions. So we we take those slots and we say, okay, we're going to convert. We're going to start on this date. We're planning to finish on this date, um, and so we actually have those slots already already planned out. And then we just let our customers fill that when they have an aircraft that they need.
1: That's pretty, pretty cool. I, I think a lot of our listeners would love to have a situation where they have plenty of demand and customers are scheduling time around uh, their workflow. So good yeah. for you. You know, because you worked in a previous industry, it doesn't always work that way.
0: Yeah. On the, so the program that we're working on right now, the 757 program only had so many planes that can be converted. Um, and, and we did almost 200 of those. Uh, a through 21, they're still making those aircraft. And so we have lots of demand for it. They're a narrow body freighter, so they can actually go into uh, smaller airports than a larger uh, cargo aircraft can. They can't carry quite as much, but they have a lot more access um, and still have a pretty decent capacity. So they're they're in pretty high demand right now. So the struggle has actually been, how many can we do Not, not, can we get enough to do? (laughs) So, yeah, it's, it's been a good, good uh, program to have.
1: What's your biggest priority for the rest of the year?
0: My biggest priority for the rest of the year? Yeah. Um, Would you say like, like personally or or company? It
1: relates to your supply chain and, and direct materials. If you had to pick kind of one thing, that's the big focus.
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say that the the number one priority uh, really is on time delivery um that's we we were running at completely zero shortages for quite a while with 757 um if you newer so we're still kind of in you know designing configuration changes things like that um that we're still kind of working out um with that we're we're Really narrowing those shortages down, we're getting less and less. And so our goal is really to get down to zero shortages at the time of shipping a kit.
1: So, kind of transitioning now into um, a couple personal things. When you and I were chatting, you had said that one of the most important things you've learned in your career is to never accept a dead end. Yes. So what do you mean by this and why is this important?
0: There are so many times where a vendor will come to you and say, there's nothing else we can do. You know, this is the best we can do. Um, Sometimes that may be the case, but I've found that rarely it actually is. Uh, Like in the situation with those oxygen box, oxygen mask boxes, um, they had said, well, we're reaching out to the vendors. They're not, you know they're not responding but we're going to just keep trying that's the best we can do and um what i did was i actually went to that the manufacturers uh it's called an aog desk a- aog means aircraft on ground um, and that's that's when the aircraft should be running but it's not <laughs> and uh, it costs a lot of money for a lot of people so um so they take those very seriously well i went to it and because the plane is in conversion um the original scheduled date had had been moved slightly out because of the shortages. And and they had said, well, your, your return-to-service date actually isn't within our seven-day window of a true AOG. Um, and so I pushed back and I said, well, I understand that, but we had to move the date out. And so it's actually past what we were originally return, planning to return to service that's so costing a lot of money every day. So with that, they were able to come back and be, okay, we're going to take your case. We're going to help you out. And within a few days we were able to get the paperwork from the manufacturer uh, to the distributor and they were able to ship the parts. So I've seen that so many times play out where we were being told one thing and you could just stop and accept it and just go, there's nothing else we can do, throw your hands up. Or you can keep looking for a solution. You will, of course have to weigh, weigh in balance whether it's worth the time, whether it's you know really that much of a priority. But when it is a major priority like that, uh, you don't stop at at no. You you keep going and you see what else there is you can do, and you'll often find that there's another door that can be um, be open, and and uh, you might have to push on it a little bit. It might be a little stuck, but you uh, you can get it open.
1: So, so a big ac- accomplishment for you personally
0: mm-hmm.
1: was getting your CSCM, uh, yes. CSCP. Right? Did I say that yes. correctly? Yes why was this so important to you uh
0: you, you know i i actually dropped out of high school when i was uh you know teenager um, and i went back and got my ged and that did teach me that i that i could accomplish something and this was something i wanted i, I did on my own um, i actually ended up going to a bible college um, but due to finances couldn't continue through that at the time um i i had kind of a rough start at, at at uh the workforce when I was younger. And so it just took me a while to kind of get my footing under me. But uh when I found supply chain and, and I I found Apex, uh, I got my actually got my CPIM first, um certified in purchasing and inventory management. Um that took three years and it was hard work and taking some classes. Um my company was very supportive and and paid for the classes and um and I was able to get get that completed and it was a pretty big accomplishment because I don't have a, a a degree I call it a college degree and and uh, so this was a way for me to to learn what I needed to know um, and and be able to apply it to the work that I was already doing um, and then when I when I came here I was able to get my next certification um, I did about a year of, of self-study on that one and and was able to to get that. And so I worked really hard for it. And, um, and, and so to me, that was a pretty major accomplishment, uh, because of the effort that I had to put into it. (laughs) So, uh, it it really helps, helps me feel like there's a, there's a confidence that I know what I'm doing, you know?
1: (laughs) So what's next? You've done two pretty major effort certifications.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I I don't know at this point, I, I think that uh, focusing on applying at my job and and trying to do well to uh, to increase and improve uh, what we do here um, we're we're looking to hire on uh, another buyer right now and we're we're trying to rebuild our our team back up a little bit because we did lose, lose someone um, and so with that we've got you know we've got a program to build here and, and I just kind of want to continue moving forward and in offering whatever expertise i can and uh, and continue to grow and learn here so uh, we'll see though if there's any other certifications or any other uh, classes or courses or next steps that i that come come along the way
1: thank you for discussing your continuous struggle to get your parts and materials on time while working in aerospace with me today chris where would you like to send people to find you if your story inspired them or if they want to reach out and connect with you?
0: Uh, LinkedIn is the best place. It's pretty much the only social media I have, and uh, it's, it's a great place to connect with me.
1: If you missed anything, you can check out our show notes. You can find us by typing in What the Duck, another supply chain podcast in Google. To have optimal search results, make sure to add another supply chain podcast. To ensure you don't miss a single episode, make sure to follow this podcast and subscribe to us on YouTube. You can find me at Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn and at Scudder on Twitter. This brings us to the end of another episode of What the Duck, another supply chain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and we'll be back next week.